Welcome to another episode of Million Dollar Stories, where we get to interview authors from all over the world. Uh, this one I'm very interested in because I am a B2B guy, and the guy's name is Greg Nutter, and uh, he wrote a book called P3 Selling, The Essentials of B2B Sales Success. Um, Greg, thanks so much for being here, man. And what is the uh, the origin story or the genesis of writing this book? Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. The genesis of the book is really, I don't know, 30 plus years in selling, sales management and consulting. And uh, finally getting to the point where I was, I saw so many people, whether they were new to sales or been in sales for 20, 30 years, and they were making the same mistakes. They were pitching product. They were doing the hard clothes. They weren't listening. And so finally I thought, I, I wanted to do something about it. Um, and I worked for, you know, probably one of the largest sales training companies in the world. Um, and my observation was, is they had some great training programs, but it was complicated. People would take a program and two weeks later, they couldn't use it. So we had all this great material that people were desperate to, to have, to use, take advantage of. And it just wasn't working. So what I wanted was something that was straightforward, logical, um, complete, uh, that gave people the tools, whether they were brand new in selling or had been at it for a while, to be more successful. The P3, what's that mean? Um, I'm, when I first saw it, I'm like, it's got to be the Marcus Lemonis <laughs> people product process. Am I onto something there? Is that right? Yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. So so if you back up a little bit and you say, okay, what are the primary behaviors of a seller? You know, I, I used to ask the question, what do salespeople do? And the, the answer I always got was, well, I get people to buy my stuff, right? Yeah. But if you look at the behaviors, the behaviors are really, in, in B2B anyway, around three areas, uh, around seeking to understand, understand somebody's situation and perspectives. Okay. Um, secondly, to influence their perspectives around uh, a problem or the need to act. And lastly, to message based on your understanding what you've influenced. All right, so you've got these three high-level uh, behaviors, understand, influence, message. So where do you do that? Well, you do that in three areas that just happen to start with the letter P. The first one is problems. And when I use the word problems with a the capital P, I mean problems or opportunities. Mm -hmm. So what problems does somebody have? Um, what uh, or does a company have? Um, how important are they? Um, what's their perspective on them? And can you quantify them? What's the dollar value if they don't fix it or if there's an opportunity they don't capture it? The second P is people. Who has that problem? Um, what are their perspectives, particularly people who are involved in a buying decision process. And lastly, um, who's got buying decision power? Who's got the most influence when it comes to making a purchasing decision? Hmm. And then the third P is process. And it's around the buying decision process, not the selling process, the buying decision process. So where is the company in their decision-making process to buy a product? Um, where are you positioned or how well are you positioned relative to that process? And given where they are, are they early stage? Are they late stage? 
what are the best things that you should be doing now? And so those are the three P's, problem, people, process, where you focus your energy around understanding, influencing, and messaging. If I run a B2B company, I'm working with entrepreneurs who need help writing a book and then marketing it. So it's uh, it's a different world than direct to consumer. And mm-hmm. uh, I've noticed it because I've, I've played with both, but I love B2B. So can you just explain to our audience what the difference is, what you've noticed? And just to kind of give a quick little summary, I believe uh, it's the Jim Rohn approach in B2B. Serve the many for service to the many leads to greatness. Lead with value. Build relationships mm-hmm. first. And that is what ultimately leads to success. I don't know that much in the direct-to-consumer. It seems like it's a lot of ease. Um, it's a lot of convenience. It's a lot of uh, uh, brand uh, and and marketing mass to the masses so they hear it three or four times because they're making quick impulse buys. So I notice a big difference. Um, yeah. What would you say? Absolutely. I think you're dead on there, Mike. So early in the book, I make a distinction between two kinds of selling, kind of the B2C versus B2B. Um, B2C is exactly how you described it. It's much more of a, the buying process is similar, but it happens much more faster and it's more emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I, I have a term for people who sell that way called clerking. Clerking? So, clerking, right. Ooh, I've never it's heard like, that. Okay. It's like you're going up to uh, you know, a counter and said, can you ring this up for me? Right. Uh, yeah. So when you're selling in a clerking mode, you have two behaviors. I give information. I ask for the order. And if somebody says, no, I'm not really ready to buy, you give more information. And then you ask for the order again. And it's that two-step process in clerking. Now, that works really well. I mean, you go into a, a car to buy a car, for example. Somebody says, oh, we've got these cars on sale. This is really... Um, you know, uh, a hot vehicle this month. Uh, would you be interested in um, taking it for a test drive or something? So they ask for either the order or the next step. So it's that two-step that works really well in B2C. Problem is, just as you said, Mike, it doesn't work well in B2B. Mm-hmm. B2B is much more complex for a couple of reasons. One is, unless you're selling a commodity, the nuance of your product or service doesn't always isn't always obvious as to why someone needs your service versus something else. Why is that feature that you have more valuable than this other feature that somebody else has? So the connection between feature and business benefits is not as obvious. I'll call that uh, product complexity. The other problem is the decision process is much more complex. Instead of pulling out a credit card and saying, hey, can you um, bag that up for me? Um, There are lots of people involved. If you look at the latest research, there's 10 to 15 people involved in almost all sales today, all corporate sales, even $50 million companies, $100 million companies. There's a lot of people involved. They have a buying process. They have criteria. They have... Uh, various steps that they go through. So it's a very complex process. So just telling somebody about your product and asking for the order simply doesn't work. Um, and it's a, the- that's a great point you just made. I'm even thinking within my organization, we're, we're talking about, I, I get on calls with 15 people. 
I will run it by them before I make the decision, even though I'm sort of the one that holds the purse. It is something that I need to run by my team. So imagine mm-hmm. large organizations, 500 employees and above. Great, great point there. Yep. And and if you look at it, uh, I think Microsoft published a study a while ago, and they said that the the average seller, B2B seller, has one, maybe two contacts in a company. And so if you only have that few contacts, how can you really understand? How can you really influence? How can you really message when you don't understand the perspectives of those other people that are involved? And that's the risk if you try to do the clerking, which is, let me tell you about how good my product is. Would you like to buy it today, right? To B2B, which is much more um, of a process where you try to understand the people involved, the problem they're trying to deal with, and the buying process. Of those three Ps, where do most businesses fail? Uh, whenever I first started, I think I had the problem down. I saw the opportunity, uh, but people slowly started to migrate towards me. The one thing I was lacking more than anything else was processes. I had zero processes in place, which means there was very little scalability. And I corrected myself over the course of maybe seven years. So uh, I would think that's where people falter the most. Um, am I right on that? Uh the, the evolution you described is absolutely how people develop in sales. <laughs> they, first, they first learn that, oh, I need to talk about solving problems, capturing opportunities. Although, how many, how many days go by when you don't get an unsolicited email saying, hey, have we got a great product for you? <laughs> Today's Can the day, we? too, of course. Right, right. right. That's what everybody does. And it's like, who teaches these people to sell? Um, the second thing is, is you're right, is that people realize that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm exposed because I'm only connected to one or two people here. Uh, and I don't know what purchasing is going to do. And I don't know what the IT manager is going to do. I don't know what uh, finance is going to say, right? Um, and so that's a risk. And people uh, either get lazy or they're not sure how to do it. And so they avoid those. The part around process is really kind of... Um, an eye-opener for some. When I say process, I don't mean the selling process. I mean the buying process. Mm. See, too often, sellers have a selling process. We prospect, we qualify, we um, gather some initial information. uh, Then we do maybe a demo or talk about our capabilities. Then we do a proposal and we go for the close. That's the selling process. But the problem is, is it doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters what the client's doing. So if you're asking for the order and they haven't made a decision as to whether or not they're going to fix this problem, you're wasting your time. So the selling process has to follow the buying process. Mm. So, and you know what the buying process is, the buying decision process, by looking at what's your client doing. Are they preparing an RFP? Are they starting to develop criteria? Are they engaging the subject matter experts? Or really, they're just uh, kicking tires and you know wondering if it's worth doing anything. So by assessing where the client is in their buying decision process, then you know what you should be doing. Instead of saying, well, I just did, the, did a demo, it's time to do a proposal. What you're saying is that you got to make it easy as possible 
to have them yes. do business with you, right? And yes. you got to meet them where they're at. And I think you said it before we hit the record yes. button, but most people are not great sales individuals, probably because they're not listening. And what you're saying is the more you listen, yes. the more you're able to pick up on tonality, verbiage, and, and the problems they're facing, and you can meet them right where they're at. Absolutely. First step is understand perspectives. What problems do they have? What opportunities do they want to capture? Till you understand, you can't influence, right? One of the, one of the uh, uh, statements I make in my book is I say, I don't know what I'm selling until I know what you are buying. <laughs> oh, that's good. Right? That's good. And, and you go, well, way I'm, to look at it. I'm selling these widgets. No, you're not. <laughs> you're selling a solution to a problem or a way to capture an opportunity. Until you understand what your prospect wants to buy, which is not a product, it's a solution to a problem, a way to capture an opportunity, then you know what you're selling. You're selling that solution, but you're not selling widgets, right? Um, and, and so the starting point is understanding what they want to buy, their perspectives. Now, there's some influence involved, and that's where selling comes in. Real selling is influence. Uh, is getting people to say, you know what, Mike, that problem is actually bigger than I thought it was. Mm. You know, now that we mention it, uh, I could lose my job if I don't solve that. You know, the light bulb goes on, which if you look at the cover of my book, there's a light bulb, mm. right? It's all about getting people to go, wow, I hadn't thought of that. Or maybe, you know why that feature is really important? Because it's, that's going to make sure that you have fewer outages, downtime, could save you a lot of money. Would you see the value in that? You know, I hadn't thought about that, Mike. That's a really good point. I need to add that to my list of criteria when I'm making a decision. So that's what selling is, is getting people to think, to create awareness, and therefore to influence their perceptions and influence their need to take action. Do you typically work with certain organizations that are large uh, or smaller businesses. It's, you have p3selling.com. I'm, I'm assuming you have some type of consulting. Is that right? Um, I, well, I'll answer your first question. So I've worked with some very large companies. I've worked with Microsoft. I've worked with SAP, Hewlett Packard, uh, NCR. Uh, I've done a project with uh, Michelin Tire. Uh, so I've worked with some very, very large companies, uh, a lot in the high-tech space, but also in uh, I've worked with Discover Card. Um, but I also work with very small companies. I've had, uh, this year, a couple CEOs call me up and said, look, I read your book. I bought it for my whole team. I want you to come out and spend time with us to make sure we implement it correctly. Um, so small companies are fun because, or entrepreneurs are fun because they're hungry for the information and they actually, you can see a measurable impact. You know, when I go and I talk to a sales team at, you know, this big Fortune 100 company, it was, Greg, that was really fun. Those are great ideas. Now let's go back to doing what we used to do, right? Mm-hmm. But little companies, you can really make an impact um, and help them make a big difference. Um, just to go on, I, I had a blog post on LinkedIn just uh, last week where I quoted an email I got from a small manufacturing company. I did a workshop uh, about three months ago uh, on a site. And he said, uh, Greg, in the last three months, and this is the owner who took over sales because the sales agent left. He said, I've, I've had uh, 
I've closed every opportunity I've worked on. You know, four deals, three months, $1.6 million. And this is a guy who's a really smart guy. He's just not a salesman. He wasn't a salesman before. So uh, very gratifying. You saw the transformation simply by adopting these steps, right? It was overnight. He went, well, again, he's a really smart guy, very analytical guy. He's an engineer. And he sat down and methodically went and applied these concepts. Now, you can always have the disclaimer that says, these results may not be typical, right? Right. <laughs> um, but I'm a great believer that if you do follow the process, if you do implement the tactics, that you will have measurable uh, improvements in your selling success. I uh, I interviewed and became friends with the owner, uh, the original owner of Constant Contact. Have you ever heard of that company? Yep. And I remember him saying something along the lines of uh, everything I was doing early on, I was just, I did whenever I made it, but just at different levels. So I was focusing on building relationships with everybody whenever I was on the up and coming. But whenever I was at the top, I was focusing on building very strong relationships with individuals who, had, who could reach many people. So it's the mm. same thing, just I'm, I'm focusing on different organizations rather than just people because the organizations can reach so many. So yep. what you're saying is that in P3 selling, these principles really do apply no matter where you're at in the process. But once you master them, you can master them as a sales rep, but also as the owner, as potentially the business investor, right? Yeah. If you, you know, I mentioned my starting audience was a sales rep who was just out of schools, worked for a small company, uh, didn't get any training, and they were looking for some ideas. And then I was doing a lot of coaching uh, for some companies, and I noticed their senior guys had the same problems. So that was another audience. But the third audience is the sales manager or sales owner, particularly for a small mid-sized business, is that they need to understand sales process so they can inspect it, coach to it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the framework in P3 selling is just as powerful for a sales manager as it is for a sales rep. In fact, I've had a lot of uh, managers uh, reach out and say, hey, I'm buying one a copy for all my team, right? Because I want everybody to be doing this. And it's a nice framework. You know, you look at what does a manager do? It's all, you know, but inspecting process, coaching to it, et cetera. It's a great framework for a manager to apply uh, it, as their management processes, you know, just coaching, inspecting, um, ensure people are following the sales, uh, sales process outlined. Uh, what is a great tip for somebody in, in my situation, you know, entrepreneur, a couple different businesses, um, nothing more than maybe 20 people within the organization. Um, what, what would you recommend more so than anything else? And just coming from a background in B2B, I'm just a big believer in relationships and never taking them for granted. And it's very mm -hmm. easy to do once you, uh, yeah, I guess, nurture those relationships and invest in them. And you just, you start to think that they're, they're always going to be there. Uh, I, I'm focusing more so on uh, touching base and offering them, you know, bonuses or sending them business, but also having them as a partner where they're tied to income streams and revenue. So uh, mm. I, I noticed that the more I do that, that's what an owner does, build relationships and continue to nurture them. So it's easy to, it's easy to forget that because as Jim Rohn always says, it's easy to do. It, it's easy to not, it's easy not to do also. So what would you recommend um, as a small business owner? 
Yeah, a couple things. Um, one of the, another saying that you might like is uh, uh, when I was r- running some channel training courses, we used to say, if you want loyalty, get a dog. <laughs> right? Uh, relationships are all about business, right? Yeah. And, and I had one, saw one blog on LinkedIn a little while ago that I just had to, had to take exception with. It was like, relationship is the starting point of any kind of business. And I go, no, 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 that's not true. Relevance is the starting point. Ooh. Right? Yep. Relationship is the end point. So if I talk to you about your needs, your problems, opportunities, your situation, if I come in with an understanding and appreciation for what you're trying to accomplish, that makes me relevant to you. And the more I am relevant, particularly from a business standpoint, then that's where the relationship comes from. The the other thing I'd add to it is, is that old school selling, you know, the world the word relationship conjures up a whole lot of visions for different people, right? There's a buddy relationship. There's a, a marital relationship. There's a business relationship. There's all kinds of relationships we can have, right? And so too often when people say, you got to focus on the relationship and sales, people think I got to be a buddy. I got to give them a turkey at Thanksgiving. I have to give them a bottle of wine at Christmas. I have to take it for lunch once a month, right? I have to tell Come, come in with new jokes all the time. That's a friend relationship. And a lot of business people don't have time or interest in more, particularly today when people are really run ragged, in more friends. But what they want is a consultative relationship where, hey, I got a problem. Mike, can you come in and work with me? Because you've established a consultative relationship, a trusted advisor relationship with me. And therefore, when I've got a problem, I'm going to call you. I used, I used to always say, you know, um, if you're a, a really fun guy, I'll go to the bar with you. I have a drink after work, but I won't necessarily buy from you. Wow. I'll buy from the person who keeps me out of trouble, gets me promoted, keeps me from getting fired. Helps me make more money. That's it, right? You want to yes. make friends, help them make money. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. So you want to be that, uh, that trusted advisor that helps them be successful. And that's the relationship you want to um, establish. Uh, but old school sellers are all think, and this is in the clerking world, right? Where if I'm just a nice guy and I take you for lunch, that you'll buy from me. And that does work in when you're selling kind of a commodity. Uh, commodity sales are much more um, impacted uh, by um, people you like. I like you and the price is the same. The product's the same. I don't care. I'm going to buy from Mike. Yeah. But when the risk of buying could get me fired, buying the wrong thing could get me fired, then that relationship goes out the window. And I want somebody who's really creates awareness of here's the pitfalls. Here's the benefits. Here's what to watch out for. That's the person I want to buy from. And that's a different kind of relationship. Have you ever read the book Influence by Robert Cialdini? I don't think I have. Okay. So he talks about in order for you to attract attention, you need to have authority and influence. And mm-hmm. uh, the way you do that is you write a book, you become a bestseller, you kind of uh, understand the psychology, the checklist that individuals are going through before they 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 listen to your words or pay attention to you. 
And I found that very fascinating because the more I focused on raising my influence and authority, I was able to close deals a little bit more. So um, where does influence rank on your, uh, I guess, your priority list? I think that that is crucial for not only sales reps, but for companies, for the leader to boost their influence. And the way you do that is you write more, you you, you produce more, you, you do things that other people want to do. You get on podcasts and then individuals mm. will look at you as the expert in the field it automatically saves the brain time and says, this person knows more than I do. Let's give that person a shot. And if they look Absolutely. at you now as and they look at you five years from now and you are further along that influence uh, chart, then they're still going to believe in you. But if you decrease that influence, then they'll stop believing in you. So what would you say about that? Yeah, 100% agree with you. So I'm a salesman, right? <laughs> by, by trade, by practice. And I'm I'm very, very proud to say that. Um, but when I get a call now from a CEO, a business owner, sales manager who says, I just read your book. I want to talk about you know, your workshop or how you could help us. Um, I don't need to sell because <laughs> I have established so much credibility just by they read the book. They said, this is exactly what we need. You're dead on. When can you come visit? Tell us. You know, tell us what you would do. How would you support us, right? And so, you, I've established so much credibility um, that, um, I mean, you still need to understand their situation and the perspectives with regard to a consulting intervention. Like, what do you think this would look like? I can tell you what I think I do, but let me find out your perception first. But you're, you don't need to reestablish yourself as a thought leader. People know that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. The way I look at that is you are that's you are using your story and your ability to produce something that is inspiring as the lead magnet. You are not chasing, you are attracting and uh, attraction marketing at its finest. That's the way I look at it. Yep. Yeah. And, absolutely. Yeah. So um when uh this is a selfish question, uh how could businesses produce more referrals? How can they get individuals to share their name out more? Uh, is there anything you've come across in certain organizations that really surprised you and it worked well and that you could share with our audience? Um, I'm working with a, a company right now who is uh, doing prospecting, right? And one of those, you know, prospect for business. And the starting point of prospecting really is establishing a target market. Um, so rather than say, I am uh, the solution to everybody's problem, it's picking a small target where you establish deep expertise and credibility in that market. And one of the, there's, I always, I always tell people there's four key criteria in establishing a, a target market. One is they have similar needs, your problems and opportunities. Secondly, they have similar buying processes. You know, do they use a credit card? Do they have purchasing? Do, how many people get involved? Um, the third thing is, is they have similar environments. But the last thing is they tend to reference each other. Oh. And so if you can get a market, let's let's say I'm going after uh, people, uh, companies that sell you know, franchises that sell uh, cell phones, you know, the T-Mobile 
franchises and the Verizon franchise. Let's say that's my target market. And they, they go to similar conferences. They talk to each other. Their, their employees change every once in a while. If I can establish three or four of those that say, that Greg Nutter, he knows this business, then, then they're going to reference you to others and references to others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think establishing credibility in one market is um, a key market is really powerful to try and get referrals. Um, just, hey, he, he knows our business. And, uh, and, and I think the problem with a lot of small businesses is they try to be everything to everyone. <laughs> yeah, and, people and we, pleasers, right? Yeah. We, when, you ple- when you try to please everybody, you please nobody, right? Right. And we call that mass marketing. Mass marketing is very expensive. Take a lot of money, and unless you've got a lot of money to throw at it, it's not very effective. So, um, small companies target a market, do really well in it, and then you can start to get those people to reference you to other people within that uh, within that space. That's what I found worked a lot for small companies. The uh, the next year, I think, is going to be crazy when it comes to AI. I mean, this past year was crazy. I didn't believe in it until I started to play with it. And uh, it's it's changing how we do business, how we mm-hmm. produce content. And uh, I'm assuming that this is going to have some ripples into the B2B selling world. Uh, we're trying out this AI bot on a website that is reading my book. And then answering questions that people have whenever they want to know about our process and what we believe. And it's dead on. I mean, it sounds like me. So how do you see AI disrupting the B2B selling world? Great question. So if you stand back a bit and you um, draw a graph that defines B2B maybe in various quadrants. And let's say that's a two-dimensional on the uh, y-axis, we're going to have solution complexity. Low end is really simple product. I'm selling wheat, right? Or oil or something. The high end, I'm selling uh, a multi-million dollar CRM system or ERP system, something really complex. On the x-axis, look at the buying decision process. Really simple. Here's my credit card. Um, ring it up for me. I just have a few questions. And then uh, and then the other is very complex, multi-year decision process, 20 people involved, lots of RFP, very complex criteria, right? So at the lower end, you've got simple product, simple buying process. And customers down there just want the easiest way to get their product. They want low hassle. Right. And you find in those kind of purchases today, companies don't want to talk to a salesperson. I don't want to be, I don't want to have people tell, ask how my day is going, to tell me a joke. I just want the price and to bring it up. So I'll go on Amazon, for example, right? Look at a couple of reviews. Here's my credit card. Boom. The far end, people are looking at complex products they're not sure how to buy. They've got a complex decision process. It might be the first time they've gone through it and they need help. So there was a study done not long ago um, where um, um, people looked at those quadrants. And it it was called the death of a salesman. Uh, And 
they said sellers who focus on the low or have the skills to only do the lower left-hand quadrant, simple product, simple buying process, 50% of them are going to be gone. Hmm. Yep. The top end, they said, that's going to grow. And AI is going to speed that up because AI is really good at, like you said, you give it a body of information, my product, environment, um, uh, details, and it can give you an answer in a flash, right? A really good, credible answer. But if you want to ask a customer, okay, so if we do this, how is Bob going to feel about this? Is he going to be uh, pushed back? What can we do to help Bob get on board, right? How would Bob, we, you know, what kind of things, that kind of helping a customer through a decision process, um, dealing with obstacles that are unique for their environment, like Bob isn't going to be in the database, right? right? That's something that you need a really good salesperson who can have deep business acumen, who can link obscure features to real business needs that that company needs and help them navigate a very complex buying decision process. Those jobs aren't going away. But AI is definitely going to have an impact on the clerks of the world. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt. I believe mediocrity will not be tolerated in the future. And that's the, <laughs> that's the case, right? So uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson has this great quote. Are you a fan of his, by the way, Dr. Jordan Peterson? Do you know who that is? I, no, I do not. Sorry. A clinical psychologist, great speaker. Um, and he's been on many podcasts. But uh, he says that your level of income is directly related to how well you articulate your solution. When you work with sales reps or leaders, um, do you get them to focus on their speech, their communication, um, their ability to articulate their solutions, price points, and direction? Uh, and I'm assuming that would lead to not only a following, but also more trust. What would you mm -hmm. say about that? Um, I would say that to talk about product, feature, price, without the context of a problem you're trying to fix or an opportunity you're trying to capture makes no sense. So it always has to be put in terms of what does this solve? So, hey, we've got this great feature. So what? Why should I care? Right? I don't care. Right? And so it's really important that the context of solving the problem or capturing an opportunity. So do I do specific coaching around how do you say that? No, but it's more the strategy of, of this is the problem you're trying to solve. It's worth a million dollars a year to you. So given my solutions, a hundred thousand dollars, is this really hard to get your head around? Right. But, but to somebody to say, well, that's a $100,000 solution, that's a lot of money. And if you don't know that they've got a million-dollar problem, then all you can say, well, uh, maybe I'll give you 10% discount, <laughs> right? What if I, what if it was $90,000? Oh, that's still a lot of money. But if you turn it around and say, but you've got a million-dollar problem, hmm. I should charge you $200,000 for this solution, not $100,000, right? Right. <laughs> 
Wow, you just uh you might have um made me think of something I haven't thought of. And it's uh every time you present the solution, make sure you articulate the problem very clearly. Yes. Right. Because if there is a solution, you assume that they have the problem, they're coming to you, but maybe they don't have it as uh, clear as you want them. And therefore, and, and this could be in your sales pitches, but also on your website, your social media post. That is a great nugget there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In awesome. fact, in fact, um, take a look at most people's uh, sales proposals. They start with, we're a great company. We do wonderful stuff. Here's our product. Here's all the neat features. This is what all the analysts say it is. Here's the price. And here's some uh, um, uh, references. Instead, turn it around. Here's the problem you guys are trying to solve. This is why it's really critical that you solve it this year. This is what it's worth to you if, or if you solve it or going to cost you if you don't. Therefore, here's what we would suggest. And this is why this little feature and this little feature and this little feature are so critical to solving your problem, right? So you start with a problem. You never start with the solution. Oh. Somebody just gave me a proposal, and uh, if they would have done that, I might have actually like read the whole thing. So that's that's a great piece there too. Yeah. I'm going to change a few things on my website based off of this conversation. That is great. Um, we always ask our guests this: uh, outside of your own book, is there a book that you recommend more so than anything else? Maybe a book like Rich Dad Poor Dad that changed my life and maybe was even a defining moment. Um, anything like that for you? Yeah, I've read Rich Dad uh, Poor Dad. It's a it's an excellent book. Thank you. Um, I've read lots of sales books. I'll be honest, some are really good. Some are really not so good. Um, <laughs> the, the, the first defining book for me, which is old, is uh, Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. Mm, don't know that. I mean, it, was, uh, it came out, I think, uh, 80s. It, it, to me, it was the first book that said, you know, selling is actually a bit of a science. Uh, there's a process to it. Uh, there's... It's following how people think, how people make decisions. Um, so, um, Spin was one of the first ones. There's some others. There's, you know, a lot of great books. You've got solution selling. You've got strategic selling. Um, there's a great book. It was published about 11, 12 years ago called uh, The Challenger Sale, which really expanded on the concept of creating awareness. Um, so, those another excellent book on, on selling. And there's another one if, for sales managers called Cracking the Sales Manager's Code. Um, all excellent books. The way I like to differentiate mine, I'll go back to P3 Selling for a moment, is that most of the really good books on selling are old. <laughs> They're 50 years plus old. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that they are uh, the concepts that they promote are, are, are wrong or dead. It's just that they haven't been updated in 50 years. And we live in a world with AI, with very complex decision processes, with very complex products, with the internet, which really wasn't around 50 years ago. And so the selling environment has changed. And so what I've done with my book is I've taken 30 years of sales experience, of learning what works, what doesn't work, and turned it into something that's uh, up to date. Great. Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn. Are you a fan of all these old time motivational <laughs> speakers? Do you like these guys? I love them. Uh, so yeah, yeah, they're, they're all great. I mean, you go back to, uh, yeah, some of the original guys, the, uh, 
um the how to win Hill. friends yeah how to uh, win Dale friends Carnegie, you're right yeah yeah, yeah. yep well I, I always believe that if you want to make more money simply become a stronger person and what that means is you know raise your status you know become more articulate you know start to focus on becoming a better version of yourself and ind individuals will take notice of that and i guarantee you'll be able to sell way more of something if they see uh that you encompass something that they want internally i think that's the way i look at it so uh fascinating p3 selling guys the essentials of b2b sales success greg nutter is there a website that uh p3selling.com is the best way to get a hold of you is that right yep absolutely if you go on there uh first you'll see a lot of the podcasts and resources that uh that talk about the book and um if you sign up there you get uh, a link that'll give you access to all our tools and templates so certainly check out p3selling.com yeah, no wonder you're a great uh, communicator. You've been a keynote speaker uh, throughout the entire world, it looks like. North America, South 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 America, Asia, Europe, all that. So great work, man. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, remember, guys, a million-dollar book will lead to a million-dollar life. Right on.